This is Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. Bellator in Latin means warrior, and a colloquium is a conversation. We at the Bellator Society are online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful, and this podcast is our conversation about all those things and so much more. Meet us here weekly at Bellator Colloquium and at bellatorsociety.com for content that will hopefully lift you, inspire you, comfort you, and make you feel a part of our Bellator Society. Good morning, Bellator Society. Welcome to the podcast. This is Tracy Eddy, and Fran is back with us. If you missed her on the live stream on Wednesday, don't fear because she has returned. <laughs> I'm back. She's don't back. fear. Don't fear, but do pray because, oh, man, y'all, I had a retreatment of a previous root canal on a crown that has now had two root canals, and now the crown has to be replaced. And I'm giving you all this information because, really, I do covet your prayers in terms of, I don't know what it is. We were just talking about this earlier, like those dreams that you have when you lose your teeth. Mm -hmm. It's not a dream for me. <laughs> I actually have lost a couple You're living of it. <laughs> Friends like, if they have to pull this tooth, I mean, so <laughs> that's a thing. Like I've never had a tooth pulled. So except for wisdom teeth. So that's yeah. something that you're so familiar with. And yeah. I can't even, you know, sympathize except for, I know it's painful. So you have my prayers. And y'all, I've back. lost my teeth and have <laughs> since I was a teenager, at least once a day, maybe more than once a day, brush my teeth. I have one brother, <laughs> one brother who never brushed his teeth. And in fact, he was a little bit of like a conspiracy theorist and thought that it was the brushing of the teeth that caused cavities. He's like, I never brush my teeth. I don't have any cavities. And I'm like, shut up. Oh, the irony. <sighs> Oh, so the that's, irony. that's Jaeger subculture. That's not, or actually Mater subculture. That's not the subject of our podcast, but do no, pray for me. Pray for Fran. But if you, if you watched our live stream on Wednesday, you know, we had a fabulous guest. She's a new Catholic convert uh, to the church. She is a mom of like five kids. She's done foster. She's adopted. She's going back to college. She's just totally inspiring us, but we're going to talk to her today about Catholic subculture. So welcome Emily Pridgen to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. <clears throat> we are happy you stuck around. Yeah. Hey, Emily, it's so good to see you. We chatted on the phone on Monday, uh, yes. but uh, it's good to see you in, in the flesh, but yeah. over <laughs> the Zoom world, yes. technology <laughs> flesh. It's, yes. it's, the, it's as close as we can get in this COVIDic time. So um, true. Yeah, I'm so excited about this uh, particular discussion because we had the origins of this discussion months ago now. Yes, it um, has been. I know it was such a passing little, it was just this like fluke little thing. And it just was really, I don't know, it's turned into this conversation, which I think is so interesting. So I'm glad we kind of followed the lead on this. Me too. Me too. And it was really your lead because we were on one of those women's Catholic uh, message board, Facebook community things. And I don't even, right. I, we had to like, we were racking our brains trying to think of which one it was, but you did a very simple, straightforward question as a convert. And right. you just said, you know, where can I find out more about Catholic subculture? Right. So t tell me where this question came from in the first place. Well, I mean, honestly, <clears throat> when I asked the question, I had to go back and think about it. I, and I was trying to figure out what inspired me to ask the question. You know, it was such a passing thing. And I'm in this Catholic moms group and I'm reading posts all the time and learning about, you know, different things. And I think I had a question about some literature or some materials that I was looking for for my kids. And, you know, and so the reason why I even brought up subculture is because I think what I was saying is like, if you guys can give me some clues as far as what to look up, what you enjoy, I'm not talking about theology. I'm talking kind of about like subculture. I don't really even know where to start for, to look for some of these things. And the reason why that applies to the literature is because, you know, as let's say Catholic women now, um, what we read, what we know about, what we enjoy, it really all kind of symbolizes something more, you know, and as someone who's coming new into the church, um, I just have to learn all of these differences in the literature, the music, the art, you know, I just didn't even know what to Google to find these materials. Um, and so, I don't know, subculture is, is kind of a, um, 
it's like a background thing that you don't really notice, but it is real. I mean, it's, you know, it's something that you kind of have to learn as you I go along. I love that you even just asked that question that you were in tune enough with, um, with kind of your new faith journey, your new, you know, your new, um, faith community to, to even ask the question and how we, what, what we kind of call subculture here at the Bellator Society correct me if I'm wrong, Fran, is a Catholic lifestyle. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we live our faith and there are things that are just second nature to us, you know? Um, and so, so like you said, as somebody coming new into the church and, you know, not, not, you know, being familiar with that, if you weren't raised with these, you know, sacramentals, these prayers, right. these family kind of, you know, and we call our, our home, the domestic church. And so, right. um, this is just kind of our lifestyle. So I love that you, you, you knew something was missing. Like you knew mm-hmm. that you, you know, and, and you're curious enough to ask about it. So that's, that's a great first step. <laughs> and it's one of the first things I noticed as coming over into the church was, you know, spending so many years as a Protestant I could walk into any Protestant environment and I know the language, I know the ways, I know the, just all of it, you know, it's second nature to me, like what you're describing. So you, but coming into a new faith practice, coming into the church, it, it's like, it has been a really interesting experience because I, I just really don't know anything. And so it's, it's just been fun to explore and discover this lifestyle, you know. So. Well, you're in the right place because Fran knows everything. No, that's not <laughs> true. But I was going to piggyback off something you said, Tracy, about um, our homes and our families being the domestic mm-hmm. church. And being the domestic church, we have something that we call family liturgy or domestic liturgies where, you know, you have prayers that you say in your family. And it might not look the same. In fact, we had talked about this, I forget, on one of the previous podcasts. And I got a text from a friend who said, tell me more about your family liturgy. Like, I want to know all the prayers that you say during the day. And inevitably, the things that we do as the Jaegers are not the things that their family does. The things that we do as the Jaegers aren't even the things that I did growing up in a Catholic Mm -hmm. family. It really does become very particular to your domestic church, what your family liturgy is. And so I would love to talk a little bit about that element of subculture with you, Emily, coming from a a Protestant upbringing, many of your, your family in your domestic church are still Protestant. How does your, how is, has there been a shift in the, the family liturgy in that, is there a new sense of this Catholic subculture kind of, I don't want to say infiltrating, because that sounds kind of subversive, but like, um, flavoring your, your family liturgy? Well, I mean, there is, and it's, it's all like these small little steps, right? Mm -hmm. So I just came into the church at Pentecost this year. And so I'm kind of just taking these little baby steps and trying to figure out how to add more things into my home. Um, but I would say some of the things that have really stood out to me that I'm trying to, um, add more of, I guess, would be like, obviously there's the crucifix for one thing, which is something new. And I don't even know if that's what you're talking about, but when I think about in our home, you know, the crucifix is, is something new or there's like pictures or candles or different things that, you know, I'm a very visual person. So I even, when I was in RCIA, I sent my, um, (laughs) I sent my friend a question. I said, can you ask Father Andrew about this? And I was asking him about those candles you can get at the grocery store. They're really tall ones. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I just love these things. Like, can I put these in my home? Is this sacrilegious? Like, what is this for? You know, and so just all of those types of things are so new to me. Um, But I just right now, the beauty that I find when I explore some of these things, you know, are kind of what I'm bringing into my home. Um, And then, of course, there's even just saying prayers has changed with my Mm -hmm. children. You know, we're doing the, you know, the cross, the sign of the cross and teaching my kids that. And um, it's very, very small shifts at this point, but it's really, really a beautiful experience to grow together. So Emily, let me tell you a funny uh, Yucas story. That's my main name about um, the grocery store candles. So my mom was very, um, her grandmother, my great grandmother always had a blessed candle burning at all times. And if there was a storm, there were multiple ones. And if there, somebody was on a road trip. There were multiple, you know, I mean, that was just kind of her devotion. She always had a blessed candle lit. And so my mom did that. She always had a blessed candle kind of by her bathtub where like nothing could knock it over, you know? Right. And, um, 
24-7 and we would go out of town and she would leave that blessed candle lit and um wow. without ever thinking a thing about it well um my my home when I was growing up we had like 15 acres but we were right in the middle of the neighborhood so it was just kind of like woods behind our house but my parents would sort kind of cleared it out so you could walk around it well we were out of town and our neighbor who had been our family friend since you know 1981 when we moved in um would walk that was part of her route she would kind of you know walk the neighborhood but she would walk around our our driveway and our property and she knew we were out of town she had a key to our house very good family friend but she saw a light flickering in the in the bathroom and she she said the turmoil that went inside me and she was protestant but we to this day i mean she's like a second mom to me and you know we love her family and she loves us and we respect each other's faith and um and had great faith discussions you know and everything but she just couldn't get that out of her mind like there's gonna be a fire they're out of town so she goes in the house turns the alarm off she goes to my parents bathroom and realizes that looks religious right (laughs) it's not just a candle and she said oh I was so worried like she said I ultimately blew it out but I went home and I lit like a Bath and Body Works candle just I know it's not the same but I you know one for one yes (laughs) but I mean we that was something that was so she she just assumed that had to be an accident that we left that going but then she second guessed herself but for us that was normal you know, having a blessed candle lit and, um, they would be blessed. So we, we wouldn't just buy them at the grocery store and, you know, light them. We would always have a priest bless them and everything. So that is my funny, uh, candle story for, for what Catholics do that other people might think is a little weird. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And what Catholics might, might stockpile that other people don't, because I think Tracy, I think it was your husband who made fun of my stockpile of grocery (laughs) store candles. I know. I'm like, don't be talking about grocery store candles now. (laughs) If she were alive, she would get you. (laughs) That's funny. So that's totally Catholic subculture stuff. Um, And so I love that. And I, and I think you're so wise to um, do it in baby steps because it can Mm -hmm. get very overwhelming and, um, and it really needs to become, it needs to be an organic outcropping of your personal faith. Right. And I think that happens for all of us. It just so happens that I have 43 years of personal outcropping, but I can tell you that if if I were if I became a Catholic this year or you know in the past several months, my house would not look like how it my husband again who who is uh, also a convert to Catholicism um one time I think I had I can't remember I have a habit where I go and I buy like statuary or things from like antique stores and I I fancy that I have saved this this piece of Catholic art from the <laughs> from the grasp of secularism but I had you know brought something home and he was like wow this place is really starting to look like a church oh my <laughs> god thank you thank you yes, it is our compliment <laughs> you think you might be offending me and yet that was the biggest compliment <laughs> but again my house wouldn't look like it looks now if I just became Catholic so I think that that's such a an astute observation and and wise practice that you do it in bits and pieces so it's natural so again it reflects what's happening in you because as christians we're all called to constant conversion it's not like it happens once it's like well i met this new saint today that i had not known before and so now i'm going to find something devotional so i can know more or you know commune better with this you know person in the communion of saints Um, right one of which that I don't have, this was a little piece of Catholic subculture that um, I was introduced to not long ago. Tracy, do you have a, do you have a statue of the infant of Prague in your house? I don't, I don't, but mother Angelica was a huge infant of Prague um, uh, devotee. And so I, I I don't, but I think I have a little picture somewhere, like little prayer cards, but I don't have a statue. Emily, do you have one yet? I don't. I actually have no idea what you're talking about. I okay. feel so. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it because these are things like when you grow up Catholic, you know that the infant of Prague is the little baby Jesus statue that people dress up during the course oh. of the year. And like, are you serious? Oh, totally serious. Especially, I think if you have, is it a Filipino um, contingency in your parish? I, I, I've been, I've been to parishes where I, I feel like it's a, it's a dressing the infant of Prague in um, the liturgical colors and oftentimes their little outfits are like 
so intricate, like lace. It's almost like they have their own vestments and yeah. they right. correspond with the liturgical seasons. Anyway, yeah, it's not like a Halloween costume or anything. It's, no. it's, <laughs> <laughs> right. I, no. more clear about yeah. that. <laughs> I was like, sometimes uh-oh. baby Jesus looks like a bunny. I know. I'm thinking I'm getting creative ideas. I'm like, okay, worry, she's I'm like, so Ooh, I love to sew. <laughs> But I remember being a little kid and seeing, you know, these, these women of the church, you know, dress after mass, the little, the little statue of Jesus that would often be like in a little alcove or whatever. And just thinking, Oh, he's so cute. I wish I had one in my house and I could dress up. But what I found out from my mother, and I don't know if this is like pervasive Catholic subculture, like if this is universal to everybody, but apparently you are not supposed to purchase for yourself an infant of Prague statue for your home. Hmm, it is supposed to be a gift. Oh, I don't know, but no one's ever gifted me with one. So I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Oh my goodness. And I would like if my you, baby Jesus to be dressed up as Santa. <laughs> if, if you are listening to this, oh my goodness. you've always wondered what to get Fran. Well, no, but you know, I've never heard that. Something really interesting that's striking me about this as you're describing this, which I think is so cool. Um, you know, this is not to compare this at all in the same because it's not, but it it kind of speaks to like how neat it is to discover these things that are so important to us as Catholics because you know for instance my mom passed away 12 years ago and I have this is like I said we're not comparing the two at all but I have this like thing that goes in my kitchen and it's like this pig and he's a chef and whatever anyway so every holiday she would dress it up and do something different with it and so now I have it in my kitchen and we do the same thing and it it's this symbol of something that is so precious and dear to me, even though it's not really even my style. I mean, you know, but I just, and as a family, we all kind of know, okay, in this case, we do dress it up in a Santa hat, you know, (laughs) like this is a holiday. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is because it translates so well to me when you think about the reasoning behind some of these things, it's like, because coming into the Catholic church, this was definitely a new thing for me, like all of the statues and the different things. And I thought, is this like, what's going on with this? You know, it seems so odd, but when you think about how much you love and cherish, you know, Jesus Christ and you love the church and you just want to bring this thing into your family to participate in a way that's tangible, that's meaningful, that's traditional, you know, it's just such a neat part of the faith that I love. It's one of the, my favorite things is that I've been discovering. It's all of these types of things, you know, Emily, you hit, you hit the nail on the head when you described the, you know, the chef pig thing that was your mom's that, that, because she did this, you do this. We have a lot of things in our church that are just tradition, right? You know, it was passed on to us through, you know, oral tradition and through, you know, the tradition from the apostles to us, you know, without any sort of break in tradition. And so uh, you, you, you made such a good um, connection there with right. Chef Pig and, <laughs> so, and just some things that we, you know, that we do and we do them because this is what we were taught and this is what our, you know, ancestors did and, and mm-hmm. the earliest Christians did. And we well, should make a distinction between uh, big T tradition, as they say, and small T tradition in that, you know, so many of these pious practices, like like the dressing of the statue of the infant of Prague. I mean, that's not a big T tradition. You can right. be a very devout, faithful Catholic and have never dressed a baby Jesus statue in your life. Like yeah. I've never, I've but, never dressed baby Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but it is something that a lot of people know about and do. So that would be a small T tradition, but like big treat T tradition would be things like the Trinity, you know, right, the, yeah. the, you right. know, the theological teachings of the church that have endured since apostolic times, not because they are written explicitly in sacred scripture, but because this is what the church has taught and what the scriptures do confirm for us. Um, mm-hmm. So we do have to kind of take, um, just make that distinction for anyone listening when we're talking yeah. about tradition, like sure. in terms of Catholic subculture, we're not dealing in great theological um, you know, verse here. We're, we're actually law. talking about, right. We're actually talking about the small T stuff, the stuff that we as Catholics 
often take for granted if we've been doing it our whole lives. Um, or we might not notice it as something that is peculiar to us um, if we haven't come from um, a, another faith background. And so I think people coming into our church, such as you, Emily, who notice these things and ask questions about them, make them a little bit more valuable for us as Catholics, because we have to start thinking about, yeah, wh why, why do we do that again? Right. <laughs> Remember that. Well, when, when, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and I think that, you know, for any of us, just for things that are important to us, when we really think about the why or remember the why, um, it's a little easier for me at this point because I am so new, so everything's exciting and I'm mm -hmm. discovering things for the first time. But it, it's always valuable, I think, as Christians, as we move along, you know, our lives to just kind of stop and remember why on some of these things and, and just, you know, enjoy them again um, yeah. for, for what they are, so. So when we moved to Arizona, um, we bought our house in, in November, but we didn't move till the summer. And I needed, we had moved some things into our house. Um, one of which was a small safe that had like our kids' passports and stuff in them. And I needed that passport for one of my children who was going on a mission trip. And I was in Colorado and passport <laughs> was in Arizona. So I called a good friend uh, a great Protestant Christian woman and she had a key to our house. And I said, can you go and, and open this safe and find this passport and send it to me? And she's like, sure. And she said, you know where the key is? And I'm like, I hit it. And I'm not sure where I hit it, but I hit it. Cause we were doing construct. We were doing an addition on our house. So, you know, Oh my goodness. So I said, check in a purse. Maybe I threw it in a purse, you know, check in, check where my scarves are. Check. It was like hours. Long story short, she never found it. We had to call a locksmith. He came and just sawed the safe open. But I tell you this story because to me, having a rosary in every single purse and in every single drawer is mm -hmm. kind of normal. Like mm -hmm. I always want to have my rosary with me. And she was like, how many of these things do you have? <laughs> I mean, she, to this day, she'll say, I learned so much about you by going through your purses and, you know, rifling through your closet. You've got rosaries everywhere. You know And I'm like? Well, doesn't it, doesn't everybody like what's, you know, to me, that was again, normal. Like my grandmother didn't wear pants without pockets because she always had to have a rosary in her pocket. You know, um, she, if, if, if a pantsuit or whatever didn't have pockets, it was like not even considered, an outfit option. Mm -hmm. Um, so just little things like that, that I think we, um, we're so used to, and to us, it's just everyday normal. Like, yeah, I've got, I've got a rosary in every single handbag <laughs> in my closet, in a drawer. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, is that, have, do you, have you stockpiled your rosaries? <laughs> um, well, you know, one of the neat things that happened in my conversion process when I was in RCIA, I was kind of going through the stage and like, am I really, it's just going to be like my path. Am I actually going to do this? Am I not? It was a little bit of a, you know, scary time trying to make that leap, you know? Um, and it was just really neat because one day I was going through looking for something completely different and I found my mom's rosary from when she was a little girl and, um, you know, had it. And I got all of these kinds of things when she passed away, but I'd never really paid attention to it before because I thought, Oh, rosary, like, you know, but it was just kind of this little reminder of like, you're on the right path. Like, yeah, so keep going forward. And so I have that one, which is really special to me. And then I've, I've gotten a few more, um, just my grandmother gave me one and I got one on the day that, you know, we came into the church. And so that's awesome. <clears throat> I'm, you know, I'm growing <laughs> your my collection, collection will grow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Your collection will grow. I think another part of Catholic subculture, speaking of rosaries, is saying a rosary every time you go on a road trip. Who, who does that? Raise your hand. Anybody? Anybody Raise else your hand. do that? Raise okay. <laughs> well, well, welcome to Catholic subculture. That is something that has always been like, as soon as we get in the car to go on a long, um, you know, a long road trip, like one of the first things our family does is say a rosary just to like, let's, let's go ahead Start and cover this thing in prayer. Like the yeah. hell's the time. Um, so that's something, Tracy, are there any other like prayer devotional things you can think of that you might say are Catholic subculture-y? Well, I think like you, um, well, several things like, like you, I remember you said one time that when you and Matt first got married, you really wanted to pray with him. And you mm -hmm. said, you know, my parents used to pray together every night and, and I'd really like that to be something we do. And so Matt said, well, let's just start with the Hail Mary. Mm -hmm. And you said, and over time you've added prayers to your nightly, you know, prayer yeah. with him. 
And that's kind of where I am. Like I keep adding prayers to my, to my day. Mm -hmm. My mornings get longer and longer because it's like, oh, this is a good one too. And you know, or mother Angelica, because she was in media and and Fran and I are in media. I'm start, even though she's not a saint, but I'm starting to um, pray to her. Um, I'm, I pray she's in heaven and I'm asking her for her intercession in this endeavor. And so things that she was devoted to like the infant of Prague. And, um, I, I, I start to kind of pick up other saints and other Christians that I look up to. I kind of, am, I always end up adopting one or two things. And you know what I've recently learned? Okay. Fran, you and I are fans of the emergency novena. Mm-hmm. The emergency novena is 10 memorares. I thought it was nine. Well, it's nine. And then the 10th is the thank you. That's where I've been going wrong. Sorry. (laughs) 10, 10, my friend. Um, So Mother Teresa, St. Mother Teresa used to um, pray this anytime she didn't have time to say a a full novena if there was like an emergency. And um, so I've been, I've kind of been using it quite a bit um, over the years just for whatever's going on. And um, anytime there's a big meeting or, you know, whatever. And um, turbulent air in the sky. I say emergency novena. Um, but I just learned this past, a couple of days ago, St. Bernard of Clairvaux's feast mm. day was this past Thursday. And it's one of the parishes. We kind of split time between two parishes, but it's, it's the one that when we first moved here, we joined. Um, but then my children go to a, a, the school that's attached to another one. So we're kind of like, but you know, between the two, you're but double loving. I'm doubled. I'm cheating. I'm cheating on my priests, but I love this parish. And, um, there's just been a lot of just beautiful things that if you believe in coincidences, it's a coincidence. If you believe in God, it's totally like little ways he's showing me like, this is your home. You know, this is where you're supposed to be. One of those things is that I learned St. Bernard of Clairvaux wrote the memorare. Mm. I've never, I mean, he was kind of a new saint to me when we moved here. Mm -hmm. In fact, I wanted to call him Bernard. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody in my parish calls him Bernard. They call him Bernard. Bernard. So I've I've learned that. Um, But yes, that's also Catholic subculture. Yes. Learning their names. (laughs) Additionally, sorry. Yes. Sorry to interrupt. Is it Augustine or Augustine? I know. (laughs) Catholics say Augustine. They do. Okay. See, I've been trying to figure this out too, because I have, not known which one is correct. I go back and forth. I just one time I'll say this, one time I'll say that. So okay, well, that's like, good thank to know. You. Thank you, Saint Bernard. Like you, you brought this prayer to me that I've been saying, and I now need to give thanks to you. Mm-hmm. So now I add him in my litany of saints. Like I mean, I just I keep going. Mm-hmm. I'm excessive probably um, sometimes. <laughs> but do you I add love- things? Do y'all are? Am I the only one oh, that yeah. does that? Oh, we I totally. love learning about the saints. I think learning about the saints has been just so, and I love it so much. It's just an amazing part of being Catholic. I mean, because you really like, you get to learn about all of these people that you're connected with. And I mean, as a Protestant, we had this too, but there's something about the Catholic, you know, subculture, I guess, that just values these saints so much. And just, it's, it's really, um, you feel very connected to brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the generations, you know, throughout right. the world, all of time. It's just, it's a, been a really cool thing. So Emily, have you, have you wrapped your head around relics, like first class relics, second class relics? Is that no. something that you're even familiar with maybe? Well, I have definitely been curious about this because I've heard people talk about it on different podcasts and things and just kind of been trying to piece it together. Um, so, but I definitely don't, I, you know, what I was thinking about whenever I came into the church, I, my, um, our priest has this one particular, uh, saint that he really, you know, is drawn to or something. And I was like, I want to find something special like that. I wish I could find something to give to him. And I thought like, should I look into this relic thing? And I'm like, no, because I don't think you're supposed to buy. I don't know <laughs> you're anything right. about it. I am so confused, but I know it's something very like special and important. So you're right. And Fran will, Fran will definitely um, let you know. She will, she's in a good way. She's like, oh, we can't buy that. If it's been blessed, we cannot buy right. that. And I'm like, okay, you certainly can't can we buy de-bless it. it and then buy it? You can't it. buy it to resell it for sure because you're, it's simony. You're making money or simony. Again, a Catholic term that people differ on, but you, you can't buy it in order to sell it and make money or 
Um, but like, again, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the statuary I've purchased from like antique stores have been previously blessed. Well, we bought my parents like a 17th century altar cross for one of their anniversaries. It was oh, an wow. altar cross, you know, it was blessed. Um, but we had it re-blessed, you know, I mean, we weren't trying to take part in the sin of <laughs> in buying religious <laughs> items, but you know, there is something. But you weren't reselling it. We weren't reselling it. And, and we, our intention was to incorporate it into our own lives. And, you know, we weren't trying to buy the blessing. Right. right. I think that's kind of part of it too. Like, you right. know, so th those are, these are all very, these are all very important Catholic subculture items, but I have one that is of supreme importance. Emily, are you gather hymnal, life teen or Gregorian <laughs> chant? Oh, oh my, my goodness. <laughs> this well, will really divide people right here. Very divisive. <laughs> it kind of um, is. It is. Okay. But not I here. Feel, we're, we're chill. I feel like everything that you ask me, I'm like, um, let me Google that real quick. Cause yeah. I don't quite know. No, but I, you know, I know the Gregorian chant thing has been something I've heard about and I'm, I'm curious about that, but I don't really know, you know, exactly Explain, the significance of it. Well, you, you, you don't have to know Gregorian chant to know that within the Catholic culture, we even have sub subcultures of people who are like yeah. die hard. If you have a picking and grinning mass, you are not worshiping in the way right. that you were supposed to, you know, we should only have chanting or we should only have some guy rocking out on his piano. I mean, like there's such, again, d a divisive, um, uh, uh subculture of what you think is appropriate music for mass. And that's, that's how people true. sometimes, you know, choose what parish they go to mm -hmm. that sometimes. And we have some friends who are like very anti gather hymnal and gather hymnal. If you can imagine, this is, this is a term you're going to want to know in Catholic subculture gather hymnal is like, <laughs> uh, the 1960s hymnal, um, I'm trying to think of the the um, the composers or the the lyricists who would have been um, privy to that. Like, is it Marty Hagen? What's his? I can't remember. I it doesn't know. matter. Gather hymnal. Google that. And it's okay. it's more. It's not your Christian contemporary by any means. But neither is it like hymns, like ancient hymns that have mm -hmm. been you know within the church for a thousand years. These are more contemporary um, hymns. I'm using kind of. These magic quotes. <laughs> um, because some people are very against the gather hymnal. Um, but it's so funny that you can become so like um, passionate about the type of music that it colors your whole perspective on the liturgy. And so that's a, that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and <clears throat> that is something like we do have, so we just have like hymns that we sing at mass, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I'm not exactly sure what category, I don't think it's the chance, <laughs> but yeah. we do the hymns. <laughs> I do recognize that. But I think at the Hispanic mass, they have a lot of instruments and different things that they mm -hmm. use. And um, I tuned into that over quarantine. They were live, you know, live streaming it. And <clears throat> I really enjoyed that. I thought that mm -hmm. was really neat um, to see the different music and everything. And likewise, I follow, like on Instagram, I follow, um, I think it's African Catholics or something mm -hmm. like that, which I just love. I love to see how they're worshiping over there and the music style over there is different. I mean, so of course, globally, you have these different pockets. Because culture, um, it is. culture plays a part in, in how people, even though the, the Catholic Church is universal, the, the local culture, it always flavors right you know, the, the liturgy. Um, so I have a friend who we were talking one time about, um, our funeral, which is kind of weird. Um, and I said, do you have a list of songs that you want? But in also your funeral? very Catholic. Yeah. We were always well, thinking about that's, that. That's something I was going to bring up actually that <laughs> I noticed, but anyway, go ahead. But she said, <laughs> she goes, Oh, I don't have a list of songs that I want, but I have a list of songs I don't want. <laughs> and they're oh, all yeah. like gather him all songs, which I thought was funny. I was like, Oh, I kind of like that one. Even though I know, um, there's a lot of people who don't like some of these songs. Some of them are just theologically questionable and okay. but have a little soft spot in my heart because you know, it's what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, okay, so what were you thinking about Catholics and death? Oh, well, I mean, I don't have any profound thoughts on it other than I've just, it's been one of the things that I appreciate. It seems like in the Catholic Church, like there is not, 
I mean, obviously we all have to reckon with our death someday. I mean, and that is not a comfortable thing to think about. Okay. It's not something I'm exactly looking forward to in a lot of ways, but I found that like the Catholic community is not afraid to talk about death, to embrace death, to understand it as a natural progression as in our human lives. I mean, we're born, we return to dust, you know, like it's, we, we, this is our, you know, we're passing through and it's just simply a part of the process of, you know, of our souls here on earth. So I just, it's been definitely something different that I appreciate. It's, it's interesting to me. Um, so anyway, didn't Pope Benedict call it his, his pilgrimage home? He said he's in his final pilgrimage home at one point, which I I thought was such a beautiful way to, um, you know, this, our, our earthly life is a pilgrimage, Mm -hmm. you know, to Jerusalem. So I I loved when he said that, but, oh, okay. So that's another one. Who's your Pope? (laughs) Like everybody, every Catholic has their Pope. Like the one that they feel well, like Francis that's, should that's be all of our know. I'm like, well, he, um, he is. I mean, Francis, right? Right. No, you right. got to answer that question. <laughs> Listen, I will tell you though, like, and and I say this very gently and carefully because I I don't want to you know ruffle anybody's feathers by any means. But as an outsider coming in, I literally had no idea that people had different opinions about the Pope. Yeah. I'm like thinking, oh well, he's the Pope. So, and I, you know, read up on him and I'm like, well, this seems like he's doing some great things. Um, but you know, again, in a Facebook group with Catholic, you know, people converting and people asking questions, it became very clear to me that people have different feelings and very strong feelings about that. And it seems to put people on two different sides Mm -hmm. of a coin sometimes. And, um, so that was definitely, and another thing I noticed along the same lines, which I'm still trying to figure out is the whole Vatican II like that's just like i mean that's always been a thing but it's like blown up well thank you twitter yeah my spiritual director that i'm meeting with which again is another thing that's new that's very catholic um but she said she'll explain it to me next time we meet so (laughs) (laughs) because we don't have enough time it does seem to be almost like a I don't know if you want to call it like a subculture type thing, but it is like this defining thing about a certain type of person. We are pre-Vatican II. We are post, and I still don't understand exactly what that means, and I'll find out. But uh, that was something that, you know, also is vocabulary. That's the thing. Yeah. There's new language you have to kind of learn, right. you know, and that's one of the things. So that will never end. I learn new things every that. time. Yeah, <laughs> Friend talks. I'm like, what is that? She's like, that's the, that's the saint's biography. And I'm like, I've never heard that word. <laughs> you get smart, smarter every time you talk to friends sometimes. Oh, that's really kind. <laughs> we're we're going to leave the explanation of Vatican to, to your spiritual director. And will you report back? Yes. <laughs> I'm interested to find out um, what, what your spiritual director says about that. Because yes, it is again, one of those very divisive things about whether or not you think that Vatican II changed the church forever or whether it, you know, just made minor adjustments to certain practices and, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. And whether or not the Pope that we have post-Vatican II are even legitimately the Pope. Oh my gosh. Wow. There are people who the, um, who do not believe that the, the Popes ordained after a certain period of time are legitimate Popes. It's a little conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah. Well, totally. yeah, it's a little I think, tin yeah. cap. It's our human nature, I think, sometimes for these conspiracy theories to come up in every group that you're, yes. you know, every subculture out there. It, it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's very interesting. So... But anyway, so that, I don't know, when you ask which, who's my Pope, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going to go with Pope Francis. Yeah, and, I love well, you should, and oftentimes for converts, it is the Pope who was the Pope when they converted. But right. because, because we live in an age and have lived in an age just the past 30 years of such quick access to what various, um, you know, pontiffs have said and taught, there are some people who have just this softness for John Paul II sure. or a love of Benedict or a devotion to Francis and his, you know, very, very Franciscan spirituality, even though he's a mm-hmm. Jesuit, um, you know, <laughs> there, there are people who have, who, who, who find that they fit into those, those charisms more easily than not that they dislike one Pope and like right. this other one, but they just have an affection more for right. one. And so uh, that that's often something that you find in Catholic subculture. Like I'm a JP two girl, you know, Fran, who's yours? Right. Well, you know, it's so funny. I, a 
adore John Paul II, and he's the only pope I've ever seen in real life. So, I mean, I kind of, he kind of is my papa in, in that when I started to come into the faith as an adult, he was our pope, you know, and, and right. I have such a, such a love of the theology of the body and things like that, mm-hmm. that, you know, it's a very natural um, uh inkling towards him but man i love some rat singer oh <laughs> pope benedict i mean he challenged my mind as a yeah. catholic um i would yeah. say maybe pope john paul ii formed my heart and benedict yeah. formed my mind totally so. and i love totally. francis too That's he's wonderful. he's so funny he's like a powder keg i love that guy <laughs> every time he says stuff i'm like oh my god I have to think about this and he challenges and stretches our Catholic identity in a way that I think is healthy for us. Yeah. Well, if I can just share something really quickly, this was yeah. really funny. So I follow the Instagram feed with for Pope Francis, you know, for or whatever it is that's out there. So I have a little notification that pops up on my phone just so I will look and see what's going on. And so talking about having a dream with your teeth falling out earlier, it was a similar type of thing. (laughs) I woke up one morning and I told my husband, I was like, oh my gosh, I just had this dream that I got a notification on my phone from Pope Francis and he was scolding me for the content that I was posting on Instagram. I was like, (laughs) he's worked his way into your sleep. I know. I thought, what does this mean? So anyway, it was just kind of funny because obviously he was on my mind or something. It means you have been fully assimilated into Catholic subculture. That's right. You're there. Yes. I mean, yeah. That's awesome. This has been so fun. I love it. Yeah. We have Thanks so much for- more that we could talk about. Like totally. women in the church was another thing that Emily and I had chatted briefly on uh, that we can just, maybe this can be like our final like wrap up topic sure. yeah. before we go into last little bits. But like the idea of of the place of women in the church and the um, archetype for women in the church, I think is different in Catholic subculture versus maybe a more mm-hmm. Protestant or evangelical subculture. And this was actually highlighted for me this very morning um, on a Facebook, a friend of mine, from high school who I'm not super close to, but I often read her things and she's a very intelligent, smart woman. Um, and very faithful woman, um, said that she was having a frustration. She's not married, does not have children. Um, so that she was having difficulty finding, you know, witnesses or testimonies from strong Christian women who don't also have the perspective of wife and mother. Like finding someone who isn't wife and mother um, was hard for her in in terms of trying to find, you know, good Christian examples. And I commented back to her. I was like, it's so funny because I feel like my question growing up was a little bit opposite of that. Like, who isn't a cloistered nun? Who isn't (laughs) a virgin martyr that I can who who for me is there, you know, out there? Virgin martyr. The poor doctors of the poor women doctors of the church were not not married, neither did they have children of their own. Um, you know, we have such a robust group of women in Catholic subculture who do represent that 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 perspective of the unmarried woman or the the woman without biological children that maybe evangelicals don't see i would love to invite them into the work right. of of you know saint therese of Lisieux or saint Teresa of avila oh my goodness gracious how many converts would we get if we just started like putting out Teresa of avila um as a as a example of, of christian womanhood but anyway what is your experience of that <clears throat> um you know, I noticed a big difference uh, between my evangelical background, coming into Catholicism with this very thing you were talking about. I mean, in in evangelicalism, you know, women are definitely valued and honored mm-hmm. and all of that, but there is a huge emphasis on the family and not that that's a bad thing at all, but sometimes either if you have a non-traditional family or maybe you're struggling with some things with your family or it can all, it can sometimes feel like, oh, I just feel like I, I can't relate to what's being held up as um, the model, the model, right? Exactly. And that's where it can be very discouraging for some people. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not for everyone, but you know, I love in Catholicism, women are, I feel like they're very valued and um, in all different stages of life. And really some of these saints that I keep learning about women of the past, um, they're held up as these, uh, you know, I don't want to say heroes. It's not that, but there's just so much, Um, dignity and honor and just sort of this appreciation. Um, And you know what? Here it is. They're warriors. 
for mm. Christ. And I, I love that because I feel like every woman, you know, has to find that within themselves, whether they're a mom or they're single or whatever place we are in life. Like we have to kind of find that place in us to battle sometimes because women carry a big load in the world. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, you know, we've got lots of different responsibilities. And um, so reading about some of these saints and people that um, and their strength and their courage, it helps me even as a mom, you know, I feel like. Um, And that's just been such a blessing to see so many diverse examples Mm -hmm. um, across history, really, and even today. So that's kind of my experience. I, it's one of my favorite things. Again, I love, I love learning about women in the church and in, you know, church history and whatnot. So there's so many, there's so many, and you probably yeah. don't know this, but our, as Bellator means warrior. And so, um, that's, that's right. that is yeah. our, um, kind of, our, we consider ourselves warriors for the faith and, um, our patroness is St. Joan of Arc. Um, and her, you know, famous line when she was going into battle was, I'm not afraid I was born for this. And so oh, we have a native that. tongue line that we put, you know, famous saint quotes in their native language. Cause obviously she wouldn't have said it in English, like I just said. And so we have a sweatshirt and a little shirt, um, like a little muscle shirt with, um, that quote, but in French. So oh, we are I really trying that. to promote, um, you know, just some of the, some of the greats like St. Joan of Arc and some of these great women and men, but, um, yes. she was, she was our first, our patroness is, uh, St. Joan of Arc and our patron is JP two. So we've got two powerhouses. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. All right. Do we want to do last little bits? Totally. Let's do it. Totally. So, do you know what last little yeah. bits? <laughs> I do. And, you know, I listened to your podcast and so I know about it, but then I forgot all about it until just now. So I'm like scrambling, like, oh, goodness. This is where we become dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's right. That's right. Brandy, you have one? I do have one. And I um, am dependent on the Holy Spirit. um, But I did actually read an article pertaining to Catholic subculture. And this was something, I mean, this article was written in 2013. And it was on a Catholic news agency's website. I don't remember the name of the the article, but it was by Carl Bunderson, who's one of my favorite reporters from CNA. Um, Anyway, he was doing kind of a... um, uh, kind of a uh, reporting on a, a an intellectual from um, I guess the, the late uh, 20th century on uh, Catholic subculture and this is this is a quote directly from the article it says absent a subculture meaning if, if we as Catholics do not have a subculture you won't have any group identity you'll be what we are now a rather amorphous group a label for convenience's sake and I thought how pertinent to the season that we are in in terms of the the Catholic identity being used as a political pawn mm. in on on both sides. I am not, I'm not giving anyone a monopoly on that, but we, but if we are truly to be Catholic, our identity, our subculture needs to be very well defined and Mm -hmm. not so amorphous, not so vague. Like we need to know what is important to us as Catholics. We need to, uh, you know, there's something very, um, I feel like for, for a long time, we, we condescended about the Catholic ghettos, you know, the, the Irish Catholics and the German Catholics and the Polish Catholics, but there was something very beautiful and important about that, that didn't lend itself to, you know, the, the great, um, American cultural assimilation. Like we as Catholics should be able to um, retain our Catholic identity and still function in our culture and in our world, but with a, with a particularly Catholic vibe about us. And I think we could do a better job of that. So maybe that's a call to arms to all the warriors out there to figure out what our Catholic subculture is and how we can manifest that in our daily lives, in our voting, um, in our relationships and so on. So that's it. I love that. Um, are you ready, Emily, or do you want me to go? We'll give you another minute if you need okay. it. Yeah, go ahead and give me another minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so right. as always, Fran gives us something really deep and healthy and beautiful to think about. And I do not. I'm going to tell you, <laughs> give you a little secret that I hinted at on our um, live stream. We have a lot of product. We've got some sweatshirts and t-shirts and tank tops and some koozies that, um, We have in stock, you know, we've got some inventory, not a ton, but we have enough that we are going to have a blowout sale. We are going to blow out the inventory um, coming up. So it's going to be over Labor Day. Um, So be listening, be watching. 
our Facebook and our Instagram. We'll let you know when that's coming, but it's coming up. We're going to do probably up to 50% off. Um, so we're really looking to make some moves on some of this, um, some of this product so we can make space for, um, some new good stuff. Cause Christmas is just around the corner <laughs> advent, um, all your little advent happies and Christmas gifts and stuff like that. So get excited and get your wallets ready. That's all I got. What do you have, Emily? Um, you know, as I was just thinking about uh, just our conversation and, and something that I don't know, I feel like has been a gift about being new into the church and not knowing the subculture and not kind of, you know, is this personally for a return to just at the very core of our identity is Christ, you know, and no matter what subculture we find ourselves in at any part of the world or even in the country. And sometimes if you don't feel like you fit into the subculture, you know, I mean, that can even be something that um, people I'm sure experience. Uh, if you have one thing that you feel like is super important, but your parish maybe does things a different way, you know, it's just so beautiful to remember that at the heart of it all is Jesus Christ and yep. he unites all of us, you know, and it's just, I don't know, it's been this fresh reminder of just even just the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity mm -hmm. of, you know, just Jesus Christ and the Eucharist and just those core tenets of our faith that are just so beautiful and really do just unite everyone, you know? And so, I don't know, I guess that's my last thought is it's been uncomfortable being a convert and kind of not knowing things, but it's also been a real gift for me personally. So Love that's it. it. I'm that's glad perfect. you went last. <laughs> I, we, we couldn't have said it better. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This has been so fun. I, you know, just enjoyed, I've learned a lot. I took down some notes. I'll be Googling a few things. So thank you so much. Well, thank thanks you for, for joining us. On. Yeah, exactly. It's so good to see you again in person and yeah. um, have a new friend in the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have a good day. Y'all too. Bye y'all. Right. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Bellator Colloquium. Please look for Bellator Society on everything social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you like what we're doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to share that with us. Rate us on iTunes to help us get the word out and share, share, share. We cannot wait to chat next time right here on Bellator Colloquium, the conversation for online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful.